0: The following motion picture contains
1: mature subject matter. Showtime recommends viewing only by mature audiences. Because of its subject matter, this particular motion picture will be presented by Showtime only after 10 p.m., 9 central. Radio Drome. It's another episode of Radio Drome. Before we get into what we need to get into, I first want to say go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME to get three free DVDs, 50% off of a single item, free U.S. shipping, and a free mystery gift. All you have to do is use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, at adamandeve.com. Now before we move forward with the topic tonight, this being episode 150, we need to announce something. Brad Jones has stepped down as a regular on this show. He's not precluded from coming back at some point. He is starting a new podcast of his own with his team snob people that at the time we're recording this is still untitled. So if you guys could, go to cinemasnob.com, support his new show with whatever it's going to be called, because I just want to say it has been just two months shy of three years that Brad's been on this show and then he and I have been working together. It's been an honor to work with him. And it was just, it was time for him to, to move on. That's all, you know, he and I did not have any kind of falling out or anything, despite what you see on the internet, that people really want us to have had some sort of a falling out. There's nothing like that. Radiodrome will continue. As always, Alex Jersky is here.
2: Suede, Alex, still.
1: Oh, the Marquis de Suede, excuse me. The new permanent regular will be Cecil Trachtenberg from Good Bad Flicks. Well, thanks. I really appreciate being brought on board. Yeah, this is not going to end well, is it? A fabulous disaster? I'm all right with a fabulous disaster. This being episode 150, I wanted to look at something special. I'm older than both of you, but we're not that different in age. We all remember what... I'm not... I'm not sure they have ever liked this term, but we all remember Skinamax, right? Absolutely.
2: They acknowledged the term actually. They did a documentary called Skin to the Max. But so they acknowledge it. I don't know if they liked it though.
1: They don't like it. I'll be reading a quote from Michael Lombardo in a little bit. They do not like it. But what's happening is Cinemax in 1984 decided to go with softcore programming. Now you have to put yourself in a different mindset. This is when our teenage and young adult brains, it, we couldn't legally buy a Hustler. We couldn't legally buy a penthouse. These things were hard to come by. The internet, that didn't exist in any real form for us. But after 10pm, we could watch softcore skin flicks on Cinemax and Showtime and HBO and pay cable. Cinemax seemed to cater to that audience more than anyone else did. So it got the unenviable nickname skinemax which they've never really liked on the other hand they are now rebranding themselves as a as a niche channel for more esoteric but intelligent programming quoting hbo which is the parent company of cinemax quoting hbo president of programming michael lombardo quote the hope is that I don't hear Skinamax any time after our original programming, what I'll call the primetime originals, start to really take over, unquote.
0: It's somebody who is trying to um, make the make the channel sound more artistic and more official. Like, they are seeing how a lot of the other networks, HBO gets a lot of respect, and how AMC has a lot of, like, this really original, unique programming. And recently they started to do shows like Strike Back and shows that were to a little... To be
1: fair, I'll interrupt you on that one. To be fair, Strike Back is not an actual original. It's one of those, we bought it from the BBC, so it's only original in the U.S.
0: Oh, they, oh so they duped me on that one. Yeah, I'm usually... Strike
1: Back actually aired in England over a year before it does in on cinemax here ah uh,
0: because i'm usually really good at picking out that because i had somebody today that was telling me i had to watch this hulu original show called misfits and i'm like this sounds like a show from the bbc and i look it up and i'm like yep it's you know so oh well i had no idea but well anyway but the point still is that i have a feeling that they're trying to get into more award-winning quote-unquote stuff and they want to get away from their old branding. Which I think is kinda of dumb because, you know, you've got twenty-four hours in a day to fill, and I'm sure that a lot of those late night programming shows got decent amount of a decent amount of viewers. And there were a lot of people that just it's like, eh, you know what, I don't feel like watching anything too thought provoking. Uh, eh, I'll watch The Hills Have Thighs. You know, for the hell of it. It just seems that they're um I don't know. They're trying to be a little too, you know, get, getting away from their roots. So I, I I don't like it.
2: I'll agree with Cecil that there is a lot of programming to fill. That trying to fill that after dark, which is what it was before, <laughs> what they called it before, is going to be is hard, because especially since Cinemax has like eight channels now. With Cinemax, I appreciate that they are moving in a different direction. There really is not, as you pointed out, Josh, with all the internet and everything, there's not as strong a market for soft core, pro, pro, eh, soft core programming anymore. No, so.
1: there, there isn't, and I think that that is one of the reasons. But at the same time, was there really that much of an interest, say, even five years ago, and yet they still trudged on with this? That, that you know, I remember my wife and I stumbled across Busty Cops Go Hawaiian. And I was surprised. I'm like, they still make these soft cores? In the age of the internet, maybe I've become desensitized. Kind of forgot that soft core still had a market for new movies, you know?
2: It kind of does through Redbox. I'll see a soft core like is listed as like the last thing on a Redbox machine. Like there'll be all the new releases and some kids movies and then like Bikini Chain Gang Girls or something.
0: Well, the thing is, too, uh, they take them. And a lot of the softcore people are actual porn actors. So it's kind of like, I guess what they do in their off time. It's like they make, they'll make, they make like five in a row and then sell them to Cinemax and Showtime. It's just another source of income. And maybe it's a little bit easier on them since they're not really having sex.
1: They're just doing, you know, fake sex. Well, s- some of them you do see when they come to DVD, it's a hardcore version. So I think these are hardcores in some cases that are shot in such a way that you can edit around the penetration. Because I've seen some like stolen sex tapes and that, that have a hardcore version as well.
0: Yeah, some of them, yes. But a lot of them,
1: you know, it's
0: uh, it's, it's just another source of income for them. And I think that, um, I really do think that there is a, a market There's still a lot of teenage kids, maybe their parents uh, have the internet blocked, but they forget, oh, right, at three in the morning, softcore porno on. I mean, kids will do what they can to see boobs.
2: That's why I was thankful for HBO and Cinemax and Showtime back in the day.
1: Speaking of that, let's talk about what these channels used to be like and how they have changed and how they have maybe not necessarily evolved properly to the to the emerging market because the first major one was HBO. There was pay cable prior to HBO where you'd be able to just order a specific movie or on regional cable systems you'd be able to hey I I, I really would like to get Star Wars or, or or Damnation Alley or whatever the movie was and you would just pay to have that streamed right to your ancient cable box. Technically HBO was the second channel that that said we will offer non-stop uncut movies, but they were the first national channel. Before that, there was Z Channel, which came on the air a few months before HBO, but that was localized in Los Angeles only. So they were the first real pay cable channel, but HBO went nationwide.
0: HBO was really great back in the day because... There were a lot of shows that, uh, or a lot of movies and stuff that just I never was able to see uh, in the theater. And their whole thing, I mean, HBO was home box office. So it was taking movies, putting them, you know, in the home. And it is funny though, because back then, I mean, now people are so spoiled with movies. It's like uh you know 3 months after they hit the theater you know they're on DVD and then a couple months later they're on cable where back then it was like years before uh they would finally hit cable and uh i think that um they had a really good concept obviously i mean it made them billionaires over the years uh i unfortunately don't remember z channel at all so i can't really compare the two but uh i think that it was a brilliant idea that uh has made them It has made HBO and then made Home Cable really rich, and they've since perverted it and gotten a lot more awful over the years, but we can get into that later.
2: I'm not familiar with Z Channel either, but I really appreciated HBO and Showtime when they came along, when they were advertised through our cable provider to order these, and... I loved movies and convinced my parents to pay for these channels. I'm like, I'm just going to rent these movies for any anyway. It's going to come to the same amount. And that was how I spent my summers was just watching movie channels.
1: And don't you have sort of an amusing story about buy the movie, buy the movie kind of thing?
2: Oh, the pay-per-view channels? Well, they weren't even channels. You'd see the there was a channel that played the advertisements. And it'd be like, if you'd like to order this movie at this time, call this phone number. Well, that phone number to call was one digit off of my home phone number growing up, so we'd have a lot of people calling to order movies. And they showed a lot of softcore, and somebody calls them on time and asks, what language is paprika in? I told them it's in English. Okay, I'll order that. All right, it's ordered.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What happened was, like Cecil said, HBO used to be home box office. It would be movies. Yes, they did have their share of TV programs, but nothing really outrageous at first. They had Inside the NFL, So You Could Get Your Sports Fix. They had Video Jukebox, which was, right when MTV came in, a music video series. They had the documentary series America Undercover, and then their first original series, The Hitchhiker, in 1983, in in the same year, Ray Bradbury Theater, which each only ran for three episodes as sort of a test season, if you will. And then they also had the news parody program, not necessarily the news. They had the kids programming, Fraggle Rock, Encyclopedia Brown. You had the sports sitcom, First and Ten. You, you had these kind of things. So they were trying to hit a different audience, whereas Z Channel was more of the, the film nerd audience. Z Channel was where at 7 p.m. they'd show Empire Strikes Back, and then at 9 p.m., they would show some strange Herzog film followed by a Klaus Kinski movie. HBO was showing the relatively mainstream stuff, the Emilio Estevez movies, things like that. Z channel was showing the real almost art house stuff mixed in with some mainstream stuff. Showtime, which in the movie channel which is a Showtime subsidiary, and Cinemax which is an HBO subsidiary, were basically all showing the same kind of movies when it got really funny when due to licensing rights sequels would be on different channels for instance like beastmaster would be owned by hbo but beastmaster 2 would be owned by showtime
0: well to be fair you really only needed to watch the first beastmaster it was it was unique and it's funny because i like i said earlier i didn't i never heard of z channel and the i know the kid me would have hated it but the adult me probably would have really dug that. It's like, oh, cool, you know, you'll watch a mainstream film and then watch some real unique artsy film. Like, I mean, that would have been See, pretty so, awesome. C channel is the
1: place that the that the director's cut of Heaven's Gate debuted. Really, they were the first ones to ever show Heaven's Gate in its the, director's cut.
0: The oh, cuz there's still people that are like Heaven's Gate that movie sucks and it's like Well, the theatrical version does. Exactly. The theatrical version is crap. The majority of people have no idea that there was a Criterion edition and that there was an actual director's cut of the film.
1: Which debuted on Z Channel.
0: Which debuted on Z Channel. That's way back then?
1: Oh, yeah. They were also the first ones to show Once Upon a Time in America completely uncut in its director's cut. Wow. Yeah, I guess HBO uh, was HBO was showing the theatrical mess version, and Z Channel had the director's cut. I guess what they just uh, they just failed because it was uh, more of a, a niche market or a location thing, or they, they, Z Channel failed because, like I said, HBO was kicking their ass because HBO was nationwide, Showtime was nationwide, Z Channel was localized specifically to Los Angeles, and they tried to go nationwide. And when they did, they were bought by a larger company who then decided, we're going to add sports programming, we're going to add boxing. So literally what happened in Z Channel's final years, you'd be watching a movie, and then halfway through the movie, it would just flip to the baseball game on live. Oh,
0: good grief.
1: And whatnot, because the sports programming was more popular than the movies, so the movie lovers started to drop Z Channel, because it was becoming a sporting pro, a sporting channel.
0: Ugh, the brains of people in charge. Always and then cool it, it only
1: lasted it. about one year after they started doing that. And, and then the real coup for HBO, and this is not a good thing, but the real thing that was the final nail in Z Channel's coffin, their lead programmer and basically head honcho murdered his wife and then put the gun in his own mouth. So huh. that that was kind of the end of Z Channel. After that, they hung on for a few more months, and they just couldn't make it. Wow, they should make that a movie that, about that. that they made a documentary you. about it called Z Channel. a uh, a little guy up.
2: Well, I'm sad that I missed it, especially since I grew up in the L.A. area. I would have had the opportunity to experience it.
1: And, well, another one of their problems was pirating. Yes, even back then, pirating. Now, I'm not talking about, like, the C-band stuff, which we'll talk about in a second. What happened was there were so many cable systems that were willing to hook you up for free, and one one of the reasons they were able to find out just how many people were pirating Z Channel, if you subscribed to Z Channel, you got a monthly magazine called the Z Channel Magazine. And it had movie reviews and interviews and a lot of original content. They were getting inundated with calls. Is there a way I can just buy the magazine from you? Those were the people that were pirating the signal, but also wanted the magazine. And then the final nail in the pirating thing, without knowing who it was, the head of Z Channel, when they got bought by the corporation, his wife was having cable installed in their house, and the cable operator offered to install Z Channel for 50 bucks illegally.
2: I guess there really was a whole scam of the illegal cable thing from installers. I thought that was just a joke in the cable guy.
0: Oh, no, that that was real. Oh, absolutely, because um, my, my house, we never had cable. I'll, I'll get into how I eventually got cable. Whenever we wanted to go over to my cousin's house, he was the one that they had cable. And it was funny because my one cousin would always brag about how like the cable he knew like one of the cable guys and he's like oh yeah you know i gave him 50 bucks and we got all the channels and everything and that was back when they had the uh the giant cable uh controller that had like the switches on it and it had like a wood lining on it uh if you you probably remember that uh i uh it was it was like a remote but it was like a wired remote and it, like each button had a different channel that you'd switch to. And it was, oh God, that was mid-80s, I believe. And yeah, he used to always brag about how he got all the channels and they only paid like basic, but they got uh, extended basic and everything else. Although it's funny that their extended basic back then was HBO, Cinemax, uh, Showtime, and I think like maybe one other pay channel. Whereas now, you know, there's 80 gajillion different
1: versions. It was pretty easy to steal cable if you knew what you were doing. I, I I lived next door to somebody who was able to literally just splice into the neighbor's feed. He just literally was able to splice wires into that, route it into his house, and he was getting whatever they were paying for. Wow. But then you also had C-band piracy. So what happened is the C-band then came in. C-band are those big, huge dishes, like out of contact, although not to that actual size that were in people's yards c-band
2: like in stay tuned
1: yes like in stay tuned except that these don't get signals from hell the c-band dishes this isn't technically piracy the channels did not encode their signal if you knew what transponder they were on if you knew what frequency were they were on and you were in line with that satellite you were able to just get their programming and so People were technically, according to HBO, stealing HBO from them because C-Band users were able to get the channel without paying for it. So then they started scrambling their signal. So then the C-Band companies sold de-scramblers. And this just kept going on and on until HBO finally won. And the C-Band distributors were basically said, no, this is enabling piracy. If people want HBO, they can pay for HBO. And you had, of course, the Captain Midnight incident during Falcon and the Snowman and that, which is kind of funny, but we won't go into that. When when people really think of cable, you got to remember, we're talking to people right here that have grown up where this kind of thing's always existed. Just remember what it was like to be able to watch a movie that was uncut. You could see the boobs. The swearing wasn't edited out like on WGN. There was no commercials during the movie. Do you remember just how liberating that was in the age when a VCR was $900, so renting it was not a real option? Oh, it was fantastic.
0: My, my parents, my, my mother especially, just hated cable for whatever reason. So when I was in high school, I went to my father and I was like, hey, look, you know, I'm old enough. I have my own job. I know you guys don't want cable. So I'm going to get cable installed directly into my room. And he was like, fine, you pay for it, do whatever you want. So I went and had cable installed directly into my room. First, like after they installed it, I actually had to work that day. But I came home. The first thing I watched was Night Eyes 3. And that was the Shannon Tweed, Shannon, um, or sorry, Shannon Tweed, Tracy Tweed movie. And it was
1: wonderful. <laughs> the, 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 when we got pay cable the first thing we watched was alien they were Aww. just they were just landing on lv-426 when the cable box turned on and it was just glorious see the clown is a treasure that will last a lifetime cable and you get it's more wonderful than yourself.
2: i hope. Oh. first thing i watched was nine seven six evil two
1: <laughs> not even the first one ah
2: no we got all the movie channels and I would spend my weekends going through the TV guide that came in the newspaper and they had like the list of upcoming movies in the back for that week. And I would just circle all the ones I wanted to watch and I would just make a whole itinerary for the VCR for the whole week.
1: Yep, we used to do that too. And, you know, quite a few episodes back, Brian Lewis and I looked at that 1990 HBO Cinemax guide for September. One of the funny things was just how many weird off the wall and i'm saying this to this day in 2013 that still never got vhs releases let alone dvd release movies that these channels used to show because oh. they because as we pointed out earlier you had 24 hours you had to fill that they would have they basically took anything anything because you, you had it you had a weird roadblock because a lot of the major studios warner brothers paramount Fox and whatnot, they were already selling their movies to network TV. They wouldn't sell to cable. They didn't want HBO to have their their big A-list titles. So HBO, Showtime, and that really got the cast-offs, which is the movies we grew up on. That's, that's where I've seen all, that's where my warehouse of useless movie knowledge comes from. These channels, that's where I watch these things, combined with home video.
2: Yeah, there were plenty of movies that I couldn't find at any video store that I'd read about that I really wanted to see, and then I'd see it coming on some movie channel, and it'd be like, finally I can see this Andy Warhol movie.
0: Yeah, same thing. There were uh, a lot of just oddball movies that um, were not available for rent, and they were only on the pay cable channels at just odd times of the year, or odd times of the evening. I would set my VCR and uh, record them, and and then just would be glorified at you know oh this is so awesome, and then that I finally get to see this movie, and it ends up being some horrible piece of crap. But I loved it because there was that effort that went into actually trying to track down you know getting a TV guide or, or whatever and finding out okay good this is finally airing, and then recording it and watching it. Yeah, the uh, the old cable experience
1: it was uh, it, it it was a, a, a it was a treasure trove back then. And then you also saw, as we started to get into the early 90s, you saw a strange transition take place with HBO and Showtime specifically. Movie Channel and Cinemax were always kind of the bastard children of those two. Those were the ones where you still were able to see the weird stuff, such as that's why you know the Skinemax movies never really played on HBO. The movies Joe Bob Briggs would show on Movie Channel, you never really saw on Showtime. You saw this strange thing where h b o and Showtime, and you'd think theoretically they would have gone the opposite of this route. They wanted to become more mainstream, so you would think as these movies start to come out on home video, you would start you would stop showing them as much on your channel because people can just rent them, so you would want to show something weirder that people can't rent as our you would think the selling point would have become. We've got the movies you can't rent. But just the opposite happened. Oh, new Harrison Ford movie's out on video? Well, it's on HBO now. Oh, the the new James Woods movie's out on video? Well, it's on HBO now. And they started to push out the weirder content for the same stuff you could get at the video store. Am I the only one that sees that as kind of a ridiculous policy that should have gone the other direction?
2: Well, they kind of did go in that direction with having TV series.
1: Yes, but their TV series at that point still had not taken over yet. Now, HBO is all TV. I mean, seriously, just try and find a damn movie on HBO anymore. No, it's all reruns of The Sopranos and Boardwalk Empire and this and this and that. It's all TV. And if that's what you want, fine, but you were supposed to be a movie channel.
2: I never missed an episode of Red Shoe Diaries back then.
1: That
0: was Showtime. The thing, I mean, for for me and you, having HBO go more in the direction of the weird stuff would appeal more to us. Like, I know I would have loved for them to have done that. One of the reasons why they're the juggernaut that they are today is because they did embrace the mainstream. You have to remember that there are a lot of people out there. They'll look at a movie and they'll just look at the box cover. It'll be like, oh, who's in this movie? You know, oh, it's got uh, George Clooney in it. Okay, well, what's it about? Who cares? Let's watch it. You know, because automatically, a big star equals that it's a mainstream production. So if they were to pop up uh, a movie that has nobody that they recognize in it, they would skip that. Versus somebody, you know, like me or you, we would gravitate more towards something like that as as opposed to the mainstream production.
1: Do you think though then that it's a good thing? for movies in general, that you're able to see The Matrix anytime HBO is willing to show it, but they would never show something like Forbidden Zone again? Or do you think that hurt?
0: I think it hurt us, but it didn't hurt them. Uh, I think it was a lousy decision, but in in terms of money-wise, it was
1: definitely the smart decision on their part. Do you think then that I'm weird in thinking that the whole sales pitch should have been you come to us to see the movies you can't get elsewhere instead of come to us to watch the same movies that are at your corner store?
2: Well, no, not really. I mean, as Cecil says, that appeals more to us, but to the general public, they gravitate to the recognizable stars, which is why movie theaters show the big studio fair that has recognizable names as opposed to the indies. As the cable channel started to expand, you know, I'd gravitate more towards their expansion networks like hbo 2 or showtime 2 and cinemax had like different themed channels that came out where they'd show the the more obscure stuff like their flagship channel was all hollywood but you'd get their more offbeat stuff on those expansion channels for a while
1: well and then one of the big things today and i still don't understand hbo's arch refusal to do this because they do it for their tv series is their refusal to show movies widescreen showtime in the movie channel Show movies in their proper aspect ratio more often than they don't. HBO and Cinemax still say, no, full frame, that's all. If you're watching The Matrix, you're watching it full frame. What is the thought process behind that? That even in the age of video, we're not going to adopt widescreen?
2: Until recently, you know, nowadays everybody has a widescreen TV, so it's a pointless thing to not have it widescreen nowadays. But back then, you know, your TV had a ratio of four to three. And there were people that were bothered by the black bars. I know Martha hates widescreen because she hates the black bars.
0: Uh, And this comes up to something that is completely timely. I equate it to Blockbuster. Blockbuster fought tooth and nail to not have DVDs in their stores. They wanted to stick with VHS because DVD was nobody was going in that direction. And it was a stupid decision that started their decline. Now, not saying that HBO is going to go in that direction because they obviously are doing ridiculously successful. Them not adopting widescreen, them sticking with full frame is just stupid. It's some. Somebody who probably is saying, oh, well, there's still a lot of uh, people who have four, three TVs. They don't have widescreen, so we have to we have to cater to them, too. I mean, that's why you're watching like shows on regular TV. And even though the show is in widescreen and, uh, you know, it's on an HD channel, they still will move. They'll still move their channel bug like a foot into your screen. So that the people that are watching, you know, the widescreen production on their 4.3 TV are still getting the little network bug in the corner. So they're still catering to the 4.3 market. There
1: There were movies that you just not only couldn't get, but everyone remembers Joe Bob Briggs. Most people know him from Monster Vision on TNT. What a lot of people don't realize is that he started, well, he started as the Joe Bob Briggs we know on the movie channel with Drive-In Theater. And at some point down the road, we're going to have an entire Joe Bob Briggs episode, but that's not right now. But Joe Bob didn't have control over pretty much any aspect of his show, unfortunately, when it was on the movie channel. He didn't get to pick the movies. He, he got to suggest movies. He said sometimes they would listen to him. If he would really be pushing, please, please, I want to show this movie, they would do that. That's how he got Evil Dead. Evil Dead made its cable debut on drive-in theater. but So he didn't get to pick that. He didn't get to pick what order the movies are. He didn't get to pick anything. He was basically just a mouthpiece. But at the same time, because people tuned in for Joe Bob, they were exposed to movies that they would not have probably watched otherwise. I mean, who the hell is going to watch Night Eyes 3 on their own unless they're a sick Unless Joe Bob is introing it. Yes, I am a sick f- I, what, uh, yeah,
0: Hey, I was a big fan of Shannon Tweed. And uh, and then when I found out that she had a redheaded sister, I was like, absolutely, I am going to watch this. For me, that was a no-brainer. But yeah, I, I had uh, Joe Bob Briggs introduced me to so many movies. Because back then, we didn't have the internet. So everything was pretty much word of mouth what you saw on television. Hey, this guy who I really like recommended this really oddball movie, so I'm going to go uh to the video store and try to rent it or I'm going to see if it's on cable or uh you know, just track it down in one way or another. I love the fact that you know we had guys like Joe Bob back then cuz I probably wouldn't have uh quite the broad appeal I have now if not for uh somebody like him recommending all these movies week after week.
2: Oh, I started with Monster Vision. I'd want to go back and find copies of Drive-In Theater to watch them.
1: <clears throat> Sorry, uh, I have a hundred or so episodes on tape.
2: <clears throat> You've got everything on tape, but I've seen some transcripts. It's basically the same show that Monster Vision was.
1: With with fewer breaks, because the movies were shown uncut, he would show two movies in a in a Drive-In Theater, and he would have an intro at the beginning, he would have a segment between the two films and then one at the end of the show so there were only three segments but they each lasted between eight and ten minutes instead of multiple two to three minute segments like he would have on monster vision so the format was slightly different but yeah overall it was the same and then the the thing with joe bob was you also got information he would talk to you about the directors and the stars and trivia and again I hate the fact that we have to keep pointing this out. This was information that was hard to come by even in movie magazines. So not only were you getting an obscure movie, you were getting the history of an obscure movie told to you by somebody who was really funny.
2: That's something
1: you just cannot get today, is it?
2: Yeah, there is a lot of film knowledge I have that's not based upon internet or textbooks. It's based upon, well, Joe Bob said it, so it must be true.
1: To me, Joe Bob's the reason I make breast counts in movies, and, and I look for the different types of foo.
0: One of the best compliments I ever got
1: was uh, I had somebody tell me that I was uh, Joe Bob 2.0. And like I said, we'll go into much more detail on Joe Bob in when we do his special episode. But basically, he also kind of fell to rebranding, like what Cinemax is doing right now by getting rid of Skinemax. For whatever reason, the new movie channel president that came in said I don't like this kind of programming. He he called the programming, the type of drive-in theater movies, trash. It goes back to what we were saying about HBO and Showtime going more mainstream. He thought these movies were trash, and they were not attracting, quote, the target audience we want to be paying for the movie channel. So he wanted the channel to go more mainstream, and that was one of many reasons that drive-in theater got canceled. Ironically enough, drive-in theater, because the movies were different lengths, the four and a half to five hours that drive-in theater ran were always the highest rated that the movie channel has ever had. I think that's just idiotic for the new president to come in. Yeah, I don't care that people watch it. That's not the audience we want. Do you think that was sort of the pervasive attitude that HBO also had with their whole, we don't want to be showing brain damage and Return of the Living Dead anymore. We'd rather show Bridges of Madison County because it gets us a, quote, better clientele.
0: Well, HBO is notorious for canceling shows that aren't up to their particular standards, regardless of ratings. Uh, I mean, Louis C.K. had a show a few years back called uh, Lucky Louis that was genuinely funny. He got really good ratings on the show and uh, HBO decided to cancel it because it didn't get nominated for any awards and their mindset was well we only want to make award-winning shows
2: i know it's
1: not i know it's not hbo joe bob briggs won multiple cable ace awards for drive-in theater and they still wanted him gone because of the clientele thing
2: do they Uh, still do cable ace awards
1: i don't know if they still do but this is the 80s so they did that okay the cable ace awards still meant something then okay jowski
2: well,
0: also, I mean, in, in the case of that, I mean, you're getting a personality who's winning awards, but they're still pro- looking at it from a programming perspective. That's the dirty secret that they don't want to be affiliated uh, with their channel. Kind of like how um, Paramount, time and time again, was trying to dump the Friday the 13th movies. Even though they were constantly making the money, they were low, you know, low cost to make and they got a high return, they were embarrassed by them because it was like their dirty little money maker. So, with Joe Bob and his show, even though he did win awards and it got a lot of ratings, it was almost like they just didn't want to be affiliated with that. So, by therefore, by dumping them uh, or dumping him and putting uh, more mainstream stuff in place, that somehow made the channel, in their eyes, better.
2: Well, it's not even that it brings in a better class of people. It just brings in a wider class of people because you could be getting great ratings from a niche market, but your niche market is going to cap out at that niche. You apply to the general public, you have a higher potential for greater returns than you do a guaranteed potential from a niche market.
1: But then you also have ones where they took something that was working and then tried to mainstream it and ended up killing it like Ralph Bakshi's Spicy City which was an animated series, only lasted six episodes for its first season. It was basically, what if you took segments of heavy metal and let Ralph Bakshi run loose? The first season did well. It did quite well in ratings, and it was picked up for a second season. HBO executives point-blank told Ralph Bakshi, we don't like the writing. We're going we're gonna to fire your writing staff and bring in, their words, sitcom writers, to jazz up the show. And Back, she just went, f*** you then, I'm not doing it. Either we do it my way or I don't even want to do it. And HBO kept trying to talk to him. but, But see, we can have a real hit show here if you just let us mainstream it. That's the attitude we were dealing with even as late as the late 90s. So we were already starting to see the paradigm shift, weren't we?
0: Yeah, it's frustrating because uh, there there are executives and the people in charge that just no matter how much you show them, they'll always have the negative perception. They want things to go a certain way. And when something is weird, even though it might be successful, but they can't really quantify it, of course they're going to want to change it. So they're going to want to make it, well, this is kind of a cool idea, but if we take, like you said, uh, sitcom writers, and we make it more appealing to the masses. And then the thing would have been, they would have done that, and then it would have failed miserably, and then they would have just blamed the show. Oh, well, people weren't really into that after all, because it was too weird.
1: I do think part of it, though, Cecil, is the fact that they looked at it as, well, we got our money's worth out of Spicy City. I think they looked at it as sort of like this. Well, we made a million dollars, but if we mainstreamed it, we could have made five million dollars. So to them... They weren't looking at it as we made a million dollars. They were looking at it as we lost four million dollars. Does that make sense?
0: yeah, that makes sense i mean it may i mean it makes sense in the fact that it doesn't make sense. you know it's stupid to us. it's stupid because it's like they're not they're not looking at it from a rational perspective. They're looking at it from a loss instead of- you know, hey, this was weird, but it appealed to people and it was something different
2: people that look at the art and then there's people that look at dollar signs and that is a fight that's been around forever you know the producer versus the director you know the ones that see the art and the the merit of the pro and any of any project and then the ones that want to see how many dollar signs they can pull from a project and well it's profitable for these other people so we should do the same thing right
1: well but then didn't you also kind of have that with tales from the crypt where the first season went over great and had a- A lot of great episodes. In the second season, you started to see more mainstream actors in the roles, more mainstream directors, and it wasn't bad. And then a lot of people don't even remember that show lasted seven seasons and two spinoffs. And you just kind of go, really? Because people just stopped caring after a while because it became so mainstream. Nobody was watching those last three seasons of Tales from the Crypt. Nobody watched, even though it was really good, perversions of science. Nobody watched Two-Fisted Tales, which never got past its pilot stage. Because they were, I mean, when you've got Brad Pitt starring in Two-Fisted Tales at the height of his popularity, kind of go, it just doesn't feel like Tales from the Crypt anymore, does it?
0: Yeah, I got to say, Tales from the Crypt, uh, they, they did start off strong. And there were, in every season, there always were a couple of episodes that just were fantastic. It was a lot of crap that you had to weed through. And it always seemed, HBO being the celebrity pushers that they are, It was like, next week on, you know, Tales from the Crypt, we've got this guy, you know, we've got Joe Pesci, and then this guy's directing. Although the Joe Pesci episode
1: was freaking awesome, where he played the twins. The best Tales from the Crypt was the Morton Downey Jr. Haunted House episode, because I watched that a year or so ago. That's still legitimately freaking creepy. Yeah, that was a really good episode.
0: So there were a lot of memorable, cool episodes that happened throughout the course of the seven seasons. But it really did lose a lot of its luster as time went on.
1: And, and then you also had the spinoff, Perversions of Science, which was basically the science fiction version of Tales from the Crypt, which only lasted 13 episodes, maybe five really good ones, which is still not that great of a ratio, because there are some Perversions of Science that are just awful. But, but a show like Perversions of Science utterly failed. I mean, they HBO didn't even want to air the last three or four episodes. They were basically burn-offs, which was kind of the sad part. And then, but and this was right in that era where paid channels started to get all of their their TV shows, and they started moving away from movies. Which I guess because home video had become so ubiquitous, Netflix was starting up. They had the what was it like? HBO has what six different channels now showtime's got like five there's all these alternate channels and i think they thought we just don't need it anymore you know we can just show reruns of oz and people want that why should we pay for movies when we can just show our own product right
2: could see why because they've seen the ratings and the positive feedback they've gotten from them i mean hbo did have award winning shows that earned them a lot of money so they saw the potential in that and ran with it They've made a lot of money with it, and they've made some good shows, too. So I don't fault them for this. And the fact that they have, like, six, seven channels, it gives them, they still have movies on those other channels. Like, now, just like then, I gravitate towards those secondary channels of theirs more so than the flagship.
1: Anyone else remember Roger Corman Presents, where Showtime gave him free reign? So it was a show called Roger Corman Presents on Showtime. But what it was, modern-day remakes of a lot of old Corman films or old AIP films like Earth vs. the Spider and The She-Creature and How to Make a Monster, as well as new things like Vampirella and things like that that you had. It's a show, but every week it's a different, unrelated movie, not counting the sequels to some of those. Do you think that was kind of the happy medium between the two? You know, You had a weekly show, but it was also a movie?
2: one of my favorite movies of all time was an episode of Roger Corman presents and that was that Alien Avengers with George Went I love that movie
0: yeah they were uh, they were great i mean it was so it was neat to see back when we weren't getting inundated with remakes and for me i mean they were remakes that really they just took the title and did something completely different not uh,
1: not all the time, because I mean, you know, yeah, Earth versus the Spider, nothing like the original. But come on, no. you got Dan Aykroyd as a hard hit noir detective, but in, in, in this, but like ones like Humanoids from the Deep it was basically the same film, just much gorier. Oh yeah, well, Humanoids from the Deep, well, that was that came out in the 80s, didn't it? The original Humanoids from the Deep was 1980, and then the remake was 96,
0: and then there was the yeah, then there was the Corman remake. So.
1: Yeah, it, uh, yeah, they're much bloodier, and if I'm not mistaken, more boobs, too. It's Corman. Corman's all, always got to have boobs. <laughs> Which, that's the other thing. Pay Cable was the place we could see boobs. Okay, I'm going to go back to one, an early HBO series, The Hitchhiker. The Hitchhiker, there were some good episodes. I mean, the quality and the writing on Hitchhiker was very hit and miss, and you could usually see the plot twists coming a mile away in most episodes, although the Darren McGavin and Tom Skerritt episodes were noticeable exceptions to that rule, where the plot twist made you go, "Ho, oh, okay, that happened. You knew you'd get an 8.30 p.m. fix of boobs, along with some violence. That's why we watched First and Ten. I don't give a crap about football. I don't give a crap about a fictional football team, but there were always
2: boobies in that. That's Game of Thrones nowadays. That show revels in how many tits it can throw at you. Which is kind of weird in the
1: age of the internet, isn't
2: it? They might as well just do that show nude. There is so much on-screen penis and just boobs everywhere.
1: Pay Cable has, has evolved. To me, it's not as fun anymore. I don't have any of the Pay Cable channels anymore. I don't need them. The only thing I ever watched on them was Real Time with Bill Maher, and all that tended to do was piss me off. One of the things that I wish these channels would do, though, is dig into their archives. If they're going to be TV channels, and by that I mean the TV shows rather than the movies, find those old Hard Knocks episodes, that that sitcom with Tommy Hinckley and Bill Maher and and Dr. Timothy Leary. Show those again. Put those out on DVD. Or Brothers, that, that great show about the, the gay football player who owns a bar with his brothers. That lasted for 154 episodes. It has never been shown in syndication. It's never had a video release. Dig up some of these old things. Show perversions of science again. Throw tales from the crypt back up. Even if Ralph Bakshi told you to get f***ed over Spicy City, show those that six-episode series again. Show these old things again instead of Oh, this is the 40th rerun of Game of Thrones this week!
2: Well, now those aren't going to make money. I'm sure you and I would love them, Josh, but beyond us, they'll make more money rerunning Game of Thrones for a 40th time than they will showing just one episode of Misfits of Science.
1: Well, they wouldn't have owned Misfits of Science, but... Whatever. Because that was NBC. The problem with, like, I
0: want... Them to start showing like their back catalog. I want them to go back and start running them on uh, the cable channels. The funny thing is, we have like the full cable package. We have all the HBOs and all the Cinemax and all that. And the majority of the time, I'm not watching them. I'm watching either AMC or I'm watching uh, movies or re- or uh, syndicated stuff on uh, my Netflix. I think that if they For me, a smart thing to do would be to take those old shows, uh, The Tales from the Crypt and whatnot, stuff that they still have the rights for, and if they want to get people to start gravitating towards HBO Go and all that stuff, put the shows up there for streaming. Okay, so we can't watch them on the sh- on uh, the network. You have them as an app that you can watch on uh, your your Kindle or your iPad or whatever. Like I would. Imagine,
1: could you imagine if Cinemax would ever put the the original Max Talking Headroom show on again for that six episodes? I'd love it. <laughs> I have them all on tape, so I don't need to. But mm-hmm. the the point is, it would be cool to have that.
2: My final thoughts on cable today is I don't really watch a whole lot of cable. If there's a show on any cable channel, whether it be an expanded basic or premium channel, I'm watching it on the internet through Netflix or that channel's streaming package.
0: My final thoughts is that uh, even though now we have more channels, there's less on. Back in the olden days, so to speak, there was just much more diversity and they didn't repeat stuff Nearly as much as they do now. Like now, it really it's like, oh, okay, this movie's going to play here, and it's going to play. Oh, I,
1: I remember remember getting the cable guide. You'd look up your movie, and they had everything cross-indexed, and it would be on three times that month, and mm-hmm. you had to find a way to get to it. Now, if they show a movie, it's on three times in a week.
0: Yeah, and if you miss it on one channel, oh, hey, look, I, I missed it, but it's going to be playing in an hour on this channel. So, I mean, the convenience factor is there. But then you get burned out because it's the same crap over and over again. So I find myself, as far as uh, regular cable is, the majority of the time, I mean, there's only a couple of shows that I'll actually watch on cable. I'll watch uh, like The Walking Dead, Shut Up, and uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, a goofy thing like Gravity Falls or something. But the majority of the time, if I'm watching a show or watching something, It's either DVDs of uh, alienation or I'm watching stuff on my Kindle.
1: I am a crotchety old man. I wish the modern audience today, those who did not experience the 80s version of HBO Cinemax Showtime on the movie channel, could have grown up with that same version of those channels that, that I did. I really do think that they missed out on sort of where I got a lot of my film education was watching these things blind in a lot of cases where, I, you know, I, I'd never heard of some of these movies. I'd never heard of an Australian film called The Chain Reaction. And then I see it on HBO and it's like, holy crap, I recognize that name. That's the guy that did Road Warrior. I recognize that guy. That's Mel Gibson with a giant beard. What the hell? And I just think kids are kind of, the younger generation is missing out because pay cable's not the same. It just, it it isn't. What I want to say for our 150th episode here is I want to say final salute to Skinamax. I think it's the final nail in what used to be pay cable and also a send off to Brad Jones, but also a welcome to Cecil. Where can people find you?
0: You can find me on
1: goodbadflix.com. That is F-L-I-C-K-S
0: dot com, not X, which is a common thing. but Yes, go there and uh, watch me talk about uh, really, really awesome movies that get bad reputations. Uh, that that GeekJuice.com, yes, uh, you should go there Geek as Juice well. GeekJuiceMedia.com. GeekJuiceMedia.com. Man, I am
1: sucking tonight.
2: GeekJuiceMedia.com.
1: And you can find me 1201beyond.com. Contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com as well as GeekJuice Media. Have a good night, guys.